Hey, listeners. I am really excited about this conversation you're about to listen to with Lindy Duncan. But before I get into it, I wanted to let you know that I started a new newsletter at radicalsoul.substack.com where I'm going to bring news profiles and musings about modern spiritual movements that center justice, offer healing from religious trauma, and reject white and Christian supremacy. Essentially, it's a lot like this podcast, except maybe not always about the erotic. Um, I hope you will consider subscribing for a few reasons. I have no idea who listens to this podcast, and I want to get to know you, and I want to know more about who you want to hear and what you like about it and anything I should know. So signing up for the newsletter is one way that I can keep in touch with you. Um, I would love to hear from you, whether it's through a survey or Substack has a chat option in the app. So if you subscribe and you have the Substack app, you can easily chat with me and I think other subscribers. We can send each other links. You can tell me amazing people that I, I should interview because I want to know more. More radical souls, more sex positive, erotic, queer people, definitely more sex workers. Please help me expand my network. And in the process, I can help expand yours. So Thank you so much. Once again, it's radicalsoul.substack.com, and I will link to it in the show episode description. While you're at it, Lenny Duncan also talks about their Substack, a sorcerer's notebook that you can find at lennyduncan.substack.com, also in the show notes. It is a lot of things out of a really wonderfully smart and creative brain. So please consider subscribing there too. This episode is going to be a trip. I hope you get just as much joy out of this episode as I did getting to talk to them. When a society goes from agrarian to a more urban society, all of a sudden, whoever is closest to those in power, those shamans, those medicine people become priests. And whoever's on the outside is a fucking witch. And if, if you need an example, I give you Jesus Christ. Lenny Duncan is an artist, preacher, esoteric fool, and student teacher. They produce art and media at the intersections of faith and radical, abolitionist dreams in America. Lenny is the author of Dear Church and United States of Grace and the forthcoming Dear Revolutionaries, a field guide to the world beyond the church. A PhD student in historical and cultural studies of religion who concentrates their studies in new religious movements. Lenny, I'm so excited. I've had my eye on you <laughs> for like years to do this. And um, so I'm excited that it's finally happening. Thank you for joining me. Well, that is the best way to be introduced is I've had my eyes on you for years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, listen, you don't get good welcomes anymore. That's a good welcome. So thank good. you for having me. Yeah. Um, I would have you introduce yourself, but we're going to just like launch right into your story. And I think we'll get um, intimate fast. So like I said, in the beginning, I want you to tell your story the way you want to tell it. Yeah. So start from the beginning. Like what, what do you consider your spiritual roots? Oh man. You know, it's so funny. I was just talking. I was just, 
I mean, I can't talk about the project, but I was just talking to a family member of this band. Um, but the Grateful Dead, uh, mm. my spiritual roots were the Grateful Dead. You know, I was uh, 13, 14 years old when I went to like my first like Jerry Garcia band show. And like I had a experience where I was 10 and I had a dream that my grandfather was couldn't get up from a toilet seat. And then he had a stroke a couple days later. And like I had told the whole family about that. And my mom, even though everyone else said I was crazy or like, why would you say something like this? Or why would you put people through all this emotional pain? My mom listened. You know, I was growing up in West Philadelphia. I grew up on 63rd, 62nd and Race, a couple blocks away from where the move bombings happened. So she put me in touch with my aunt Sissy. And my aunt Sissy, and this is queer culture, right? It's back then. My, I thought my aunt Sissy was just the best Catholic because my aunt Sissy had saint candles everywhere. She lived with her brother because she was so devoted to Christ. Neither of them wanted to get married. Huh. Right? <laughs> and so you have to, you know, these arrangements that queer people made back in the day to live life. Yeah. And uh, she put me in touch with my aunt Sissy. And my aunt Sissy taught me the saints and the candles and the playing cards that match each one so I could call in each one of those powers into my life, um, whether they be angels. She taught me the hierarchy of all the angels. She taught me all the saint codes. She told me what saints were what. And she started with Saint Defema, which is the saint of mental illness. And so she had me in nervous break. Well, it said nervous breakdowns back then. And so I do the prayer for that. And then I say, no, I'm still having these visions, huh, Sissy. And she's my grand aunt. She's 80, 88. And uh, Aunt Sissy, you know, uh, says, okay. And that's when she starts teaching me the saints. And then I had Aunt Gussie around the corner in West Philly who would rub Van Van oil on my ears and send me to go play the number because I was the only pure hearted one. And there was all kinds of internalized oppression. Like why? Because I had fair hair and light skin, right? Do you know what I'm saying? So I was the, the purest one. So she rubbed Van Van oil. And like, you know, so these are, this is like the roots of, you know, my mother's side, who Aunt Sissy was her mother's sister, who was a Yanish, and, you know, remember, you know, and grew up over there and came here and they married an Irish boy who was a Sweeney. And, uh, you know, and then you have, you know, my, my Aunt Gussie, who is the oldest of 13 kids and is the second generation from our first ancestor here. Um, Thomas, who fought with the Poughkeepsie, you know, Union Army, and then his son became a dice man in Atlantic City when he—that's what he did with his freedom—and had lots of kids with a couple different women, and was very, you know, was known as a as a dice man who always had luck, and so our family thing was luck. That—that's what Gussie would talk about, and if Gussie sent the right kid with the right prayer with the right saint. You know, she would hit the lotto and Gussie never worked. And she always hit for exactly what she needed, either on the street lotto or on the regular lotto. I remember the only reason I got baptized at seven is because my brother was acting out. And my mother's belief was, well, that's when you baptize a child to expel that spirit. And so this sort of like hodgepodge of what I'm coming from. My parents never read the Bible or went to church. Uh, we went to the cat. We went to the priest to have the things done. Mm-hmm. And often, like, I remember I read the Bible from cover to cover, you know, and I tried to talk to my parents about it. And, you know, my dad just stopped me one day. He's like, that shit doesn't make sense, bro. 
He was just like, though, he was like, he wasn't invested in it. He was just, you know, it's like 85. He's like, that shit just doesn't make sense, bro. He's like, I don't know what's out there. Just said that, you know? And then I meet the Grateful Dead and the psychedelic scene. And, you know, so it's really this kind of folk Christianity that would look more like, you know, almost a hermetic order. And those are the kind of guys I hung out with who were into hermeticism and all that kind of shit. And so those are my roots. And then I went to a Lutheran seminary because God hates me. And <laughs> wait, no, I mean, I was blessed with a full scholarship from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America mm-hmm. to get a master's of divinity. And um, but in between that time, it was what most people would consider witchcraft, sorcery, folk, Catholicism. I don't think I lied about that on the application or anything. I just said, I just said that I felt a call to the church. And I keep trying to get people to stop me. And no one will. Mm. Literally, that's what I said all through candidacy. I said, it's ludicrous. I'm a pastor. I think it's funny, too. And if you look back on almost any time I was ever taped or talked about, I was like, I don't know why I'm here. Yeah. I just kind of followed that thing into. So, I, you know, for a long time, I was a public a Lutheran faith leader who mostly based a lot of their stuff in liberation theology and a lot of things outside the Lutheran tradition and kind of took it to task to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. I'm now, uh, um, in the middle of the uprisings, I went and I learned my about 72% of uh, black people in the Americas are descended from uh, this area of Benin, Dahomey, and, and Nigeria. Mm. And all of us had one form or another of Ifa. Um, and my particular genetic you know, material is most likely from the area of Osogobo in Yoruba land, or what we now call modern-day Lagos. And so this is Osun territory. Um, I didn't know any of this before this journey. I was in the middle of the uprisings and getting shot at by Nazis and cops in Portland, Oregon. And everything I thought I knew about the world was falling apart. And I wanted to go to something that was my own. It's really funny because I ended up getting in this weird, very, uh, I went to get away from like the whole diversity thing. And I ended up at this very diverse elect, right? (laughs) So like, it's, it's just funny when we go for authenticity and, and we're going to see a lot of this. We're going to see a lot of people who are going to sell you off in the authenticity of an ancient land. Mm-hmm. A lot of my work now is about the, the actual of the Americas. And there is magic of the Americas in our ontological construct here. It's the oldest ontological construct actually on the earth. Mm. Um, all the rest of the world has moved on to several different ways of viewing reality, magic, and lots of other things in my work. So I'm a historian now, and my studies are in a, it's like a people's history of magic. My point is, it's like I thought going for this, and you know, this ancient authenticity, the gods are alive and they're here mm. and they're now. And they're doing things here and now. They're not interested in what they did last time around, not interested in their last visit. They're not interested and who we were the last time we tried to do what we're doing, these things we're doing now. They want to know who we are now. And so that was a big wake-up call for me, too. It was like I could fall into the same trap I fell into when I went to the church, which was to seek out um, uh, respectability. 
rather than like knowledge or experience, really. And really, you want experience over knowledge and you want, you know what I mean? Wisdom over power, right? But everyone want, you know, you, you can put want and shit in two hands, see which one fills up faster, in my opinion. Anyway. No, I love that. I think part of what I'm understanding is that has been part of the colonization of spirituality. This idea that we need like the credibility of the roots and like everything has to make this logical sense and that we need to be able to follow the history. Right. So exactly. And what that takes. It's a Western paradigm, but it does have African roots, right? It does have indigenous roots. We do know that there is a power that is passed on from person to person. Mm teacher to teacher. But what is that power? What is it today? What are you passing on today? And if you, I mean, truly, Jared, could we exist and be having this conversation in any other place Mm. than this planet? Oh, than this planet? Than this planet, like us, you know, like uh, the possibility of us. Sure. Oh, if that could happen. I'm not talking, I'm talking about beyond political constructs. I'm talking about the series of events that creates who we are. Mm. I wonder about that, you know, and then I wonder, like, how do you find joy in the midst of that, right, without being beat up by it? Anyway, I, I, I interrupted you, please. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Keep interrupting. Uh, let's pause. I feel like you gave us this very quick and dirty religious or spiritual history that brought us yeah. sort of up to date. Let's go back. What are your erotic roots? Oh, man. Well... That's an interesting question. I mean, what is the erotic other than the easiest access a child has to the divine? Mm. Eventually, you're going to look down and you're going to figure out, wow, my body can do things. I don't even need anyone around for that. There's like a whole sense of autonomy with that too, right? Mom's not around, dad's not around, no one's around. And it's just me and my body. It really is the first time we cross the threshold of like, wow, I can adjust my own reality and my own experience of sensation to get to a higher state. And it's the first time we like ever like do that. And so like early on, I think I knew, I mean, my dad, the reason I, I left home at 11 years old, um, I was a sex worker um, as a kid because um, there's only so many commodities kids have on the street. So, mm-hmm. and I don't, ever feel maudlin about that because some of the best times I ever had in my life were as a sex worker, right? And I think sex work is fucking real work, right? <laughs> like people need to, right? But there yeah. is like our dynamics of like those times, you know, you're talking uh, 91, 92, 93, uh, a black uh, child with, you know what I mean? No mm-hmm. support, right? You know, this puts me in much dangerous, much more dangerous situations than the times that we find ourselves in now. I'm currently thinking about if I did a OnlyFans where I just did kink and theology, would people tune in, right? Oh, shit, yeah, yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, would that be fun? And, like, right. you know, it doesn't have to always be about, like, like you know, I do a couple nice videos for people where they get what they want, but it could be just, like, a lot of, like, leading up to and then just stop and, like, let's talk a little bit about esoterica. Mm-hmm. Let me explain this system of tarot to you while this one goes down. Yeah. Like, whatever. Like, what's the weird you know, but my point is, I, it's very influenced by that. It's very influenced by the fact that white women 
in particular were the ones who crossed lines of consent. Mm. White women in particular were the ones who assaulted mm. at that age. And even, even to this day, white femmes are the ones who I, I think get away with assault in ways that's very subtle ways that they don't realize the BIPOC person in that room has no other choice but to either take it or stop the session. Yeah. And disrupt the flow of the relationship. And in either way, it's an ending for them. For the white femme? For the BIPOC person. You know what I mean? Because they're not who comes back for that, right? Right. And so, like, and so there were a lot of situations like that. My first serious relationship were two uh young uh queer women, um Desiree and Elizabeth. Uh it took people a long time to realize all three of us were together. Desiree kept a revolving cast. And mm. one person that she really cared for who was our friend. Mm. But you know, and 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 um I stayed with Elizabeth till she passed. Mm. And uh it wasn't the same for me and Desiree triads are different. Mm-hmm. and you know for years I don't even think me and Desiree even touched we just knew that we loved each other we could be across from the room from each other anyway um, that was my first touch at love you know Elizabeth would just took me gently by the hand and was like oh you sweet baby I get to love who I want <laughs> you know how old were you? I, I was 16 That's- Oh, wow. Okay. And how old were they? Oh, Elizabeth was like maybe 17, 18, maybe 19. You know, around same cohort, but just really okay with... They went from the girls who would get drunk and make out at parties, right? And you remember that was like sometimes the only space that queer femmes would be left, particularly in like white, male-dominated like party spaces in the burbs. This is like Colorado shit, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's only so many spaces you get, and it's either performative, hidden. You know, you get to play certain roles, right? You you don't get to do a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I understood that, but they they were the first chicks I ever saw who like grew up and were like, "Fuck that," and just hung out with each other and made out and like fucking got hammered and picked up boys and were pretty and ran the town and fucking did whatever the fuck they wanted. And um, I found that so fucking hot. And that's sort of like powerful femmes are like my thing. Um, who like, I know I'm like a space cadet in life. And like, you know, it's like a power exchange. And the power exchange is, is that I, I generate a lot of art. I generate a lot of things. I'm also very neurodiverse and like do need guidance like throughout the day sometimes. And the power exchanges when we cross the threshold of the bedroom, it's the exact opposite. Mm. So, and this was the, this, this became like a very, like, like very, like, you know, seminal kind of template. I don't think I've ever dated anyone like that, except for maybe my ex-wife. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's weird when you figure out that like, you may not have a type, but you got some itches that you like to scratch. Right. And there is a, a lot of range in that stuff. So anyway, that's my early relationships. And then it's a lot of queer, queerdo shit. And a lot of like early, like, you know, everyone else was DL. I was just like, I I wasn't DL, but I wasn't, people just never spotted me as queer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, 
until really, really the late aughts that people started being like, man, are you queer all the time? And I'd be like, yeah, what the fuck? Because it just, it was, it, and really because queer culture, I kind of caught up or maybe had noticed or at least popular culture had caught up to the fact that they, them, fatals, angels like myself, who just don't fucking care about the binary, not only don't care about the binary, but actually hold a, a, a kind of spiritual place. Like, you know, 1,500 years ago, they would have known what to do with me. They'd have put me in a pool, and they would have made sure it was warm with lots of water, and they would have brought me gifts, and they would have put perfume on me, and if I wanted to make love, I would make love. And if I wanted to write something down that was important for people to know, they would do that. Mm. They, they would know what to do with folks like us. We had a place in culture. We had a place in the world. It's only in this place that we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so, um, but when I first, when people like try to figure out what I was, they would be like, are you gay? I'm like, no. Oh, are you bi? I'm like, oh, that's sorry. Right. That sounds weird. And then they would be like, well, are you, you know, and they would run through the list and, but I would do all these things, you know, and I mean, these actions that would appear to be these things. I hung with a group of people. We finally figured out we just called ourselves angels because they were the only non gendered kind of beautiful beings we knew about. And we were like kind of like angels. Um, so that's a lot of my experience. That's like, that's it. Uh, I love kink. I love kink um, through pleasure. I think pleasure and using pleasure in very fun ways. I love to use kink for healing. Uh, I think it can be a very healing space. Um, I consider myself a zaddy. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that I try to hold space so people more powerful than me feel safe enough mm. and do something that they've never done for anyone else. And I just get to witness that. And that can look a lot of ways, but that's all I'm doing. And I'm actually um, for our daddy, daddy, fucking mistress mommies out there. Um, we're the weakest ones in the room. We're the only ones in the room who can't let go. Right, right. Yeah, that resonates. So with my clients, I have my clients call me, <laughs> call me sir. Um, oh, sir. I love it. Do you want me yeah. to call you sir the rest of the podcast? It is your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That puts me in a you can. It would put me in a different headspace for sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like it's filling a need for so many people who don't know how to let go and giving them giving them a space to let go. But then when I need to let go <laughs> for pe- to people, like nobody feels safe, you know, because it's so hard to find people then who do like the work to Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I got to tell you I'm real I and this is not a this is not some humble brag bullshit because these these fucking babies love me despite myself. Yeah. Right? I I have just fallen into this little pocket of subs and lovers and friends who love me despite myself. So because I hold this space for them, because I like let them be free, they I can let all of me, all the wind up it takes to to get to that space for them, all the pieces. Mm-hmm. What makes me who 
what helps me transmute or transcend the divine for them in those moments and give them something to worship that's worthy of their worship, right? Worthy of it. Like that takes a lot out of me. And the parts that I am are ugly when you like look under, right? The, when you look under the hood, you're like, ah! right? And so, yeah. but, but they're not actually. I, I'm learning that's just my, that's actually the other side of it, is that what the sub does for me on the healing side is that like I just had one who left and I told him I was doing this podcast and they mostly just come over to like snuggle with me all night long and like be praised about some of the work they're doing in the world. And, but something in that exchange has been so energetic. Great. Right. Mm. And my lover is my first male lover who sub yeah, that I've ever let it go beyond sex. So I'm going to escort down to their initiation. Like, um, in their tradition, we're going to do this whole trip. Like they're on their way over and they live with one of my lovers. Hmm. Like I've just fallen into this thing where they see me and I am hyperlexic, type three, ADHD, CPDSD maniac who was stuck in the juvenile justice system. Spent probably two, three years if you pull time together in the juvenile justice system in solitary or some form of limited exposure to humanity, all the, all the stuff that I'm hiding, the assault victim, the multiple assault, the scared little boy who would stand over his mama's body, trying to protect her from her dad. Mm-hmm. And then three days later, protect his daddy from his mom. Mm-hmm. You know, who would throw his life in the way for anyone. The one who runs towards a gunshot when I hear him. I never run away. I always run toward. Who's that hurt kid? And what what does little they need? And so what 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 lovers have helped cultivate? And it's so funny because wherever I live, and I don't want to give out too much information because there are actually fashion fucking listen to shit and try and figure out where I am. And I've had attacks and weird shit because of some of my prior work, but um, my whole space is cultivated to be, to celebrate Little Lenny. Like Little Lenny, when Little Lenny lived in the Bay and was houseless in the Panhandle in San Francisco. And now, you know, he would have thought this place was the tits. Um, when Little Lenny was passed out. <laughs> and that's what he said. He would have said the tits with no irony. I'm sorry. That's what he said. <laughs> and you know, like, you know, and, and like, you know, People's Park. When I slept there and I would watch the kids walk past. And I couldn't believe I would be teaching anywhere near that cat. Like all that shit. You know, so so they helped me cultivate that space. So like they, you know, their little their little that's been hurt gets a chance to be free. Yeah. So that they're loved and worthy of what they want. There's nothing wrong with what they want to be done to them. And I get to and I get to know that there's nothing wrong with me inherently because I have the ability to give them that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to get to. Totally. Is being daddy for you a way of reparenting? Yes. I think I think if I could show you a picture of my space, but my space where I play, where I'll probably end up doing my show from, it's a separate little 
cabin separate from my little place. Mm. And it, there's no electronics in there. And it's only really pretty lights. And there's only stuffies in there and unicorn blanket. That's what you get tied down to. Gotcha. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, yeah there's a lot of parenting. There's a lot of loving. There's a lot of soothing. There's a lot of soothing through hard things, right? I want to do this hard thing. I'm not sure if I want to do it. I'm, I'm afraid mm-hmm. that they do it. And then there's like, well, how do I soothe you through the hard things? There's a lot of reparenting. There's a lot of um, reworking some of the neurology around that, right? So when I experience it, because if I know someone can give it lovingly, I know I can receive it lovingly. Totally. So there's this kink and the sacred kink, the healing kink. And then there's this transition for you from being a a spiritual leader in ALCU to now finding your place in like your Nigerian heritage. Tell me how, how do those worlds collide for you? Yeah. So um, May 30th of 2020, I was standing outside of the justice center in Portland, Oregon, and everything I thought about the, about the world melted. Mm. Um, I had been talking about the possibility of what I was calling. I didn't have language for it. I'm not like one of these assholes. There's gonna be a lot of assholes with books. who are going to tell you they predicted Christo fascism. I'll tell you as close as I got in my first book was I said, I'm concerned there may be a theological civil war that could break the Republic. Mm. so call it what the fuck you want yeah and i had been fucking flying around the country 20 flights a fucking year you know doing talks going to churches really thinking i was making a fucking difference man they had like tried to do some shit to queer people and i remember i did like a secret fucking a super fucking secret like fucking action direct action at the fucking denomination headquarters and fucking change policy and that was like the day i knew it because that was the day i stood up and they asked me they asked me the the bishops laid a trap for me and they asked me if they should do away with this thing called visions and expectations and they knew if i said yes in that moment i would lose the room and i had to stand up on all my queer friends and act like i would fucking sell out and say no because I knew that we had done enough and we were going to get what the fuck we wanted anyway. Right. And so like, I knew that like, I, I, my, my point was I had used my name just as much as I wanted to and all the bullshit and the thought leader industrial complex. I had thought that I could get into the room and I was willing to be the bad guy. If it fucking meant we got further. And so I felt like I was in a really good place. I flew out here. Hilariously enough, December of 2019, to have this relaxed boutique kind of queer place. I arrived January 2020, January 30th. I start February 15th, March 20th, we're locked down. May 30th, I'm in front of the Justice Center. Wow. Everything I had thought I knew about the world, about Christ, I was so fucking wrong. Mm. I believe that every mainline Christian leader at a critical time in salvation history failed the world. And I believe that this is a sign that the age of Christ is over. And I saw it clear as day that day. Um, You know, nothing I did up to that point. And I lived the whole life trying to be there 
mm-hmm. to be someone who could be there. And I couldn't stop any bullets that hit those mothers. I couldn't stop the gas. I, I couldn't save my comrades over the years. I lost everything in that moment, and I didn't care because I knew what it was. It's what the ancients call the obscure night. It's a moment where everything you thought you knew melts. It's a magical twilight in some other fucking world. It's when your power and your fucking so-called prophecy and all the bullshit those people threw on me fails. And you got two choices in moments like that. You could allow it to destroy you. Because in that moment, I knew there'd be never, never any hope for black people in this country, or from in that any large scale way. And I still stand by that position. And uh, you know, lights went out for me, and uh, I couldn't look away, man, because I saw the kids, and they. And kids, I don't give a fuck if they, every time they hear it, they get offended. They were children, man, some of them. I couldn't look away, so I stayed actually in September of last year until finally, um, after sitting with community and community leaders, we felt I had done enough that, and even if I wanted to do more, I probably wasn't capable of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, that summer after I saw that, you know, I watched the president of the United States get suggestions on Fox and Friends, then implement those suggestions on me and my friends later on that afternoon. And my bishops didn't believe me. Elizabeth Eaton the presiding bishop thought I lost my mind and sent one of her thought leader cronies to come check on me. Mm. All this stuff. And I had nowhere else to turn. And, you know, so I just set up an ancestral altar and started praying. And I started talking to my saints again. And I started talking to my saints again. And I asked for help. Um, And the next day I woke up obsessed with a symbol I remember from childhood. And it was the veve for Papa Legba. Um, And and then I started chasing down veves and I tried to match some of the gates from like places in my neighborhood and things I had seen and um, that search landed me in front of an Aya. You know, I I was in the middle of a war. I wanted Shango. I wanted Ogun. I wanted a fighter. I wanted SU. I got Osun, the sweet river, the one who entices and brings out lust. Mm. <laughs> I received for my war. Mm. Uh and uh, I became the most fullest, queerest version of myself I've ever been, which led to divorce, 
church not really wanting to work for <laughs> and a lot of other things but um you know i i wanted war and i wanted victory and i guess went home with love and destiny mm -hmm. i don't know what that means yeah it seems like you're at the start of it yeah yeah it's been it's 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 been good. So, yeah, now my work at the GTU focuses on Western esotericism, which is what fucking stupid people, I mean, smart people call magic. Mm. And I kind of am studying like these sort of three uh, groups that I've, I call it a people's history of magic, but it's a decolonial counter narrative, the Western esotericism based on several premises. One of them being that we, since we all know, objectively we don't experience teleological time the same that history is a construct and that there is a such thing as deep time i start to base uh, a new narrative of the americas that's a land-based narrative mm. and tracing the three threads of magic it has a lot of other application basically it's impact history so it's just taking a look at what has the largest societal, economic, psychological, sociological, and spiritual impact on the land that you're on and basing year zero for that area off of that. So like, you know, year zero for the Americas is 1492, which makes us actually the oldest ontological construct or way of conceiving the world or history um, because, you know, you're Western Europe, 1517, and all of a sudden everything goes a completely different direction. We're still using these sort of Renaissance premises, right? Like shit from like fucking Socrates. Some of us have bronze in our, in our blood. Some of us have silver. But those of us with gold should rule. You know, <laughs> bullshit, right? You know? Yeah. You know, but you look at places like Eastern Europe. People don't understand what the fuck's going on with Putin. And you're like, well, their ontological construct, their year zero is fucking 1991. But they're coming from a different place than you. You know, year zero in 1940 is 1946 for the Pacific and the West for the South Pacific and for fucking Japan. That's when we dropped a fucking fusion weapon, which we still don't know what has really done to the universe. I mean, if you think about it mathematically, that's just me. Right, they say it's contained and everything's fine. Totally didn't fuck some shit up, you know. But that's why we're doing it way the fuck out here, though. With just these few people who are going to suffer, right? All that shit sounds shady. So anyway, my whole point is, it's like taking history from that sort of uh, trauma informed lens, and though we know that trauma affects. Uh, the individual and their sense of time and their sense of being able to tell story and narrative. Um, we know it, it changes who they are and adjusts their personality. And then also they trauma bond, which is like just really like amped up counter transference. And so you see cultural exchanges that happen. And so it's taking history from that and then using that to talk about magic. So then there's three groups of magic, magic from people who were taken from their land Magic from people whose land was taken from them, and magic from people who settled on my land. That's a lot. <laughs> Holy shit! Like, are you? Is this all in like a, a dissertation? That's my dissertation. 
Wow. That's it. That's my work, man. I, but I, I just say people's history of magic. Yeah. <laughs> and just for, I mean, for people listening, is this a lot of what you talk about in your sub stack too? Yeah, this is totally what I talk about on my sub stack. Uh, a sorcerer's notebook is meant to be a kind of a sub stack that is you're like into magic or like maybe you're not like blah well that's ableist language we're gonna go with maybe you're not dead inside Mm. (laughs) and you noticed yeah that march of 2020 something changed Mm. Mm -hmm. you could feel it in the air something about all of us sitting at home and having to contemplate who we were and what we were doing changed and, it, and something new awoke or is awakening or is unfolding depending on your perspective if you're one of those people the sorcerer's notebook is meant to be all the bullshit you don't want to do it's basically every bad experiment i've ever done it's like a <laughs> it's, it's it's a what not to do guide if you want to actually make it in the world of magic right and and like it it's some of its tongue in cheek some of it's theory. Some of it actually is in my dissertation. A lot of times I will bounce shit off the people on my Substack before I'll bounce it off my professors. And that's because magic is people's power. And that's why it's important. You know, in every society, you can almost, there's a guy who has a formula for it out of Santa Barbara. He's a psychologist. You can track almost by the number using cluster mathematics when a society goes from agrarian to a more urban society all of a sudden whoever is closest to those in power those shamans those medicine people become priests and whoever's on the outside is a fucking witch and if if you need an example i give you jesus christ (laughs) because for 200 years he was a blasphemer and a witch and he had a demon in him. They were an anti-social group until they were the shamans of an emperor. Hmm. And they were the priests. Interesting. This happens, right? And so and so, what gets left on the outsides of that? What gets left on the radius of that? And that, that's what uh, some have called the wastebasket of modernity. Hmm. I call it indigenous science, land-based science. It's this idea that by having relationship with the land you live on and the embodiments, the the radical eminence of that land, it all matter is divine, making you thus divine, right? This idea, right? That it's imbued with it, that you're returning to this place. This is a place you've been before. This is a place you'll return to. So what do you do with divine matter? that you will return to and that you've been to before Well, you treat it very different and you treat the people in that world very different. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is what we need. Um, this is, and, and in particular, if you're a white person, listen to this and you're anti-racist and you think you're anti-racist, if you are, if where's your ancestral altar, anti-racist person, mm-hmm. because I'm going to tell you, you're not an anomaly. If you're thinking about this stuff, there's a John Brown in your family. Stop thinking you're so original. 
and unique because that's the whole lie of the empire, this rugged individualism. And if you just figure it out, you'll make it. You'll shoot the curl and then you'll tell everyone, no, asshole. It's all been there. Our ancestors know it. Mm. They gave us the ways and that that knowledge is there. So set up the ancestral altar. Tap into what your people did. What did they do? Who did they worship? What did they call it? Why did they call it that? What would they call it if they were here now? What did they call it when they came in here now? Does that still feel like the same thing to you? Right? Does it still feel good to you? Good. That's yours. Right? And now it's here. So what does that mean? With my Orisha. Your gods with my Orisha. Mm-hmm. On, on Turtle Island. Why? Why? And now we are here like others before us with another empire set on oneness. Rising. These, these stories that we're living now, these times when we've seen them before, we'll see them again. And I think that was the big thing that I got, you know, uh, going all the way back to my initiation. This is the world as we found it. We, we, we've seen these times before. We'll see these times again. And there's, there's things that people of, of good character do in these times. There's things that we do. Mm-hmm. Whether that's we dance at the end of empires, right? Whatever it is, whatever you're thinking. So I think that's very, it's critically important. And the church the church um, is in the way. They're no longer a, a thing you can walk away from and laugh at. Mm. The same Jesus Christ fills trans kids with fear across the country. How do you recover from that? You can't. So, question. When I was considering whether or not I still wanted to call myself a Christian and have a relationship with you know, the Christian God, et cetera. I think part of the thing that held me for so long was liberation theology and queer theology and like thinking about like walking away from James James Cone and like, what do you do with that dilemma? What have you done with that dilemma? I mean, for me, I look at Christ for who Christ was. Son of God, I mean, Never claimed that himself, but that's cool. Doesn't claim it in the synoptics. But whatever. Right on, right? Sure. <laughs> People are into that. I looks more like one of the, a powerful teacher. It looks like more like someone who walked the road. It looks more like an Aeon. It looks more like an Archmage. He looks like every other first century sorcerer of his time to me who was standing in the marketplace trying to tell you how his God, which, by the way, was still a desert war God named Yahweh, mostly known for two genocides. Those were his two greatest hits, guys. That was his top ten. Two genocides. I don't don't understand the attachment. A war God that we made omniscient and superimposed upon his teacher who was clearly sent to change the age and no more divine than you or me, even by his own teachings that they say are right. (laughs) You're supposed to be grafted into this line, but you can't have any of the power. So when I look at Jesus, like, you know, I look at the 72. 
he was like, you know, they're like, dude, we raised dead. We did all this stuff. He's like, you still here? <laughs> Shouldn't you be like, taking mountains, jumping shit? Why are you here? Shouldn't you be chasing in like another universe somewhere? Like, what are you doing? Right? Remember, he's so offended. They come back to, he's like, dude, yeah, I gotta go. Go do more. What are you doing? If you had any faith, you wouldn't even have to come back and report to me because it's not in my name, right? That's the whole point of the sending out of the 72. Viewed hmm. with power. And then they come back to, to say, thank you for the power. He's like, it's not my power. If you had any faith at all, you could change continents. But they don't listen. You know, so that's what I do with Jesus. I leave him where he is. Powerful. You know what I mean? Powerful. Able to do things. Able to raise the dead. But I... So did Arumula. <laughs> so did other people's gods, right? The difference yeah. is that the church is his genius at removing the marketplace. So you're not, we no longer are in a marketplace where we can listen to a competitive group of like, you know, charismatic teachers be like, well, that's a cool view of reality, but look what you do with my view of reality. You know what I mean? Like there's none of that anymore. There's no salons. People aren't inviting people over to hear five different speakers who don't agree talk and then everyone hang out afterwards. My God, that's how murders start in this country now. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, we've we've lost the ability to to do that in a lot of ways. And it's coming back. You know, as above, so below. You know, the, the motion is like, like home to the marketplace or heaven to earth and then earth to heaven. Or, you know, what I mean, the marketplace to home. Like that's the motion. Every you know, it's just it's just funny. Um, we're so worried about these times, and we're so worried about what's going to happen, as if any of this had anything to do with us, mm. or as if. And what I mean by that is, we're not the causality. No, I don't think there's any faith tradition that believes we are the causality, and I don't even think science believes we are the causality of reality or the universe. So if you're not the causality, then how are you so tied to the fucking end results? And how are you affecting them? It's a it's 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 a strange notion to believe that there is this causality, this forceful universe, this creation, this this thing we're in, and 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 to believe that spirituality has anything to do with how you act, hmm. who you are, your morality. It has nothing to do with that. In my opinion, it's a, it's some sort of force steps into human history for the express purpose of liberation. Some people call that salvation. But like, I don't know why it does that. I don't have too many merits that deserve that, but I've had divine intervention in my life. I've seen things that I can't explain. I have had abilities beyond my own. Mm-hmm. And since I know that stuff doesn't come from me, I, I think the church really, and a lot of spirituality, and a lot of like queer kink culture, and some of these like big groups, you know, now as really, it's it's the same thing. It's like what they did in the '60s, where they take something that's supposed to push you towards community and push you towards reaching out, and make it about your personal journey and how you are growing. You know, this thing is very you centered in the end. And anyway, I'm rambling. Now I'll shut up now. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm trying to think where to go from there. So, you know, we've been talking about an hour. I want to wrap up. And I think. 
Oh my God, I hope there's something usable in there. <laughs> I think so. So I'm pretty sure that a lot, I mean, I don't know who listens to this podcast. I need to sort of figure that out. But I have a sense that it's a lot of people that are questioning, right? Like, where do I go from here? How do I find spiritual roots? How do I find a connection to the divine that I lost? What advice do you have? I mean, you've talked about connecting to your ancestors, finding your ancestors, which I think is huge. And around this whole idea of causality, I think, is it just that like removing these shoulds that you think that you've inherited and just what does that leave you with? You know, you can follow tradition. I follow tradition. I follow traditional. I say ifa verse in ifa. I do traditional readings for people. I take people to the traditional. I take people, you know, I, I just believe in that, right? I believe in that for me. Those are motions I make. But I never forget that those are spiritual motions. That's spiritual momentum. And those symbols, those stories, they unlock something for me. We always have access to that. And so all I'm saying is, is not that we abandon all that we know. I think if you're a Christian and you're thinking about getting into like a magic, you should learn about the rich tradition of thousands of years of Christian hermetics and sorcerers and witches, right? You have, a, you have tons of rich resources to go to. In fact, you have more than most people because it was more readily accepted. And people listened to Parcellus and said he was a doctor and not a goddamn alchemist. And, and now that's what osteopathic medicine is based off of, Parcellus' teachings. But it's all Christian sorcery. And most of it was his obsession with angels, which then John Dee in the 16th century starts writing about and obsessing about. And so you know you see all these things. There, there, there are rich resources to tap into. But what I don't want people to do is to get so obsessed with chasing that ancient, rightly sourced thing that they get scammed, mm-hmm. that they get hurt, that they get harmed. There's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of people. Like that's why I don't have a website so you can come get your Arisha read with me. If I meet you in life. And it's, this is a thing that's supposed to happen. It'll happen. Not to say that that's a bad thing that people are doing. There's just reasons why I don't do things. And there will be more and more of this, you know. And so that's that's some of the warning. And I'm calling us to what is the magic of today? What is this new age of magic going to look like? And so I think the people who are questioning, I'll say you're the missing piece. Mm. The things I'm struggling to say and the answers I don't quite have for you today, you're, I'm waiting for you to join us and bring your thing to this, you know, because I don't have all the answers, but I do know that the way that we conceive power in the divine being invested in institutions, that's over and it's been spread everywhere. And, and there is personal power for everyone um, that I just want to see people tap into. I want to see people go through theosis, like where you can't even, where, where people don't know if you're just so close to God or you are God. They don't even know anymore. And they don't care if you're divine or if you just have divinity all over you. You know, I want to see that in the world. I love that. It's one of those things you send this podcast out and 
people listen to it. And there's these moments that I wonder, like, will that hit you? You know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Are you going to, you know, take that in? Is it going to get under your skin? I hope so. It's written all over our skin. Our origins are so much more magnificent than we've been told. Mm -hmm. I was really afraid. I've been thinking a lot um, about ancestors and, you know, I did my whole DNA test so I could start to figure out where my ancestors came from and then realize it's like really difficult to figure out what that means. (laughs) So at the start of my journey there, but I started doing ancestor tarot readings once a week to just receive messages from my ancestors. And I think as a queer person, there's just this fear of like, are you going to be like homophobic? Like, are my ancestors homophobic depending on where they came from and what they meant? And there's been so many unexpected messages of love. Say that again, though. No, when the spirit talks like that, right? Because that's my, say that again. Oh, yeah. The messages I've received from these readings, like the first message I received was the lover card. And the more that I looked at it, the lover card is really this invitation to learn how to self-love so that you're not seeking love from other people first. And I think just knowing that the ancestors, that there's messages of love from beyond, that I'm a part of a lineage of love. I don't even know what to do with that yet. Well, I got even I got even more of a quandary for you. You're assuming that time and space work on the same frequency as here. So here's the thing. My father and I had like this, I buried him with dignity and we were friends when he died, but you know, he was probably autistic, undiagnosed, um, certainly ADHD, um, but he had a lot of the same system, symptoms that I have, and a lot less tools. He used violence as a tool a lot, and it took a long time to see him, like to see him, see him, know him for who he is. That's, this is not about forgiving him for what he did. Mm-hmm. Those are two separate things. You people always talk about intention over impact. Well, then you know that there's a whole other side of that. Yeah, his impact was abusive. Yeah. When I see him and his intent, who he was in the world, because that's still available to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I put him on my altar for a bit. Mm. You know, he he was different. Mm. Time had passed differently. And he didn't stay there. There's times he's on, there's times he's off. There's times other people are on, other people are off. But I'm telling you, time and space does not move. The assumption that they move at the same glacial pace for spiritual work. I, a lot of times nowadays, especially with my mom, I feel like she has to stop in like, what you want? We're busy. You know? <laughs> she, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? She's like, oh, who was I then? Loretta. You know? Hi, what you need? Your name's Lenny, right? All right, yeah, we're doing real big. Oh, okay, yeah, woo. And like, <laughs> out. You know? <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah. Oh, I just want to invite you. I want to invite your listeners to the miracle that the person who died maybe a year ago, who was a homophobic monster, has had much more time to think about their actions in that life than you've had. 
when you approach them at the altar. And that teleological time versus a secular view of time is actually going to be the big thing over the next few years. Mm. Progressivism? Are we moving towards a better future team? Does it feel like we are grabbing all the things and building towards a modern utopia? Does it feel progressive, teleological, yesterday, today, and tomorrow? We've only conceived reality like this for 500 years. Mm. Does it feel like that's happening? Or does it feel like the old view? That we seem to be repeating the same stories over and over again, and we can't seem to break the cycle. Which one seems more real to you, team? Yeah. But in other words, like, even if it feels like repeating the same cycles over and over again, that's not the only sense of time and progress out there. Yeah. Yeah. And that all these stories usually end in victory for the people. Usually end in victory for the, for, for, for the divine. Yeah, that's awesome. So any any other last thoughts? Um, new book coming out February 21st, Dear Revolutionaries. It's a field guide for the world beyond the church. So it's a it's a no bullshit guide. There's literally a chapter that says there's no book club for this bullshit where I talk about ever buying a book like I'm like I got ever again. I talk about how thought the thought leader industrial complex is full of fucking creeps. Because <laughs> um, look, like yeah, there's always a book about reform and revolution. You know what never happens? Reform or revolution? Kiss my ass with that shit. And uh, and I just talk about how I survived, how I survived fascists trying to kill me. Um, how I survived fascists killing my friends. Mm. Uh, and the spiritual practices I did. And then there's some community building stuff. Really about what does it mean that like really we kind of all fell for the colonizer's dream in reverse. This idea that like how am I, like what gives me the right to know what's best for you 300 miles away? Nothing. Absolutely nothing on this earth gives me the right to know what's best for you and your people and your friends, your culture, your your life, 300 miles away, except for this idea of the so-called America. What does it mean to get smaller? What does it mean to build concentric circles of mutual aid? What does it mean to build uh, counter systems? You know, just in case the whole world falls apart, and you have to be on your own for a while, guys. And like how we did that um, and how we did that well. Um, we, the fascists, we ran them out of town. They knew they had no place in the proper society other than to be the cockroaches they were. And so how we did that and how we did that faithfully, right? While I was going through this change of losing my job, finding this new like form of spirituality. And so it's a, you said, my listeners are looking for where to begin. It's actually, and I, I, I just didn't want to sound that creepy and capitalist. My book, that's literally what it's about. It's literally how you make the leap from Christianity to a more, how do you become the priest in your own home? Mm. What we learned during the pandemic was what? They didn't even let us bear our own dead. They told you that you couldn't have the holy meal. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? These creeps, everything that every pastor said during that time, especially the first couple months, it was all about keeping themselves gainfully employed, even myself, mm. even the stuff that I said, because I was part of some mega church and they were supporting my my launch. I couldn't go that far off script. And when I did go that far off script, look what happened. 
That's the only reason you would tell people only one person can ever serve you a holy meal. And that's the only reason you would make people wait for a year and a half to bury their dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's just how it looks to me. It looks pretty scammy. That's what the book's about. And so how do you get empowered in your own life? How do you start having that holy meal? And then how do you build community in the ways that you think are like super fascinating that your, your pastor does? Really just community organizing stuff. And so I'll give you some of that too. Nice. All right. I'll have links in the show notes to your Substack to um, the new book. This has been a journey. <laughs> Thank you. Were you editing that on my OnlyFans? Like when I get that going for a few months? Yeah, totally. 